Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. I want to dive right in this morning in Psalm 34. That's going to be our passage today. If you have a copy of scripture, if you want to turn there with me, Psalm 34, we're going to have it on the screen for you. So if you don't have a Bible this morning, don't worry, we've got you covered. This is a Psalm of David, and I'm going to begin in verse 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. For those who fear him lack nothing. Young lions lack food and go hungry, but those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Come, children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. We have some words that we overuse And I think we Christians are uh, particularly um, guilty of overusing this word, and the word is awesome, right? We we use the word awesome all the time uh, to the point where it's kind of lost all meaning, right? Uh, If you go to your favorite coffee shop and you're checking out at the counter and you realize you have racked up enough points, meaning you've probably spent too much money in your coffee shop and you've racked up enough points and you have a free coffee and you look at the barista and you say what? Awesome. Awesome, right? Your friend is at a fancy restaurant. And they take a picture of their beautiful dinner, that beautiful cut of meat, the asparagus sticks, right? The mashed potatoes. And they shoot you a picture and you reply back with one word, awesome, right? Maybe you put an exclamation point, awesome. (laughs) Your spouse informs you that they're gonna be able to pick up the kids today from school and it frees up an hour in your afternoon and you say, awesome. Your child gets a new haircut and you weren't sure how it was gonna turn out, but the stylist spins him around in the chair and you see it and you smile. You go over and you tip that stylist and you look at that person and you say, awesome. Really? Awesome? 
So the, the word awesome, it means anything that inspires awe. And the word awe means this. It's, it's a feeling of reverential respect. Reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. Reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. I mean, did you tremble when the picture of the state came to your phone when you're like, whoa, awesome, right? No. But we use this word and it loses all of its meaning. And we use the word awesome a whole lot. And we probably use the word awe very little, maybe too little. And this morning, we're starting a new series called The Awe of God. In fact, we're, uh, we're using a book called The Awe of God. It's by John Bevere. And uh, when I first heard about this book and this message, by the way, we've never taken the church through a book before. Uh, but this is a book that's built uh, into six weeks. Every chapter is about three to five minutes, so you can read a chapter a day. It's got a scripture at the end that you can kind of meditate on. And it's, it's all about this this repeated term in the scripture, which is the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. And it's all over the scripture. And we're going to be spending six weeks talking about what does it mean for us to have the fear of the Lord. And before we dive into that, I just want to read a couple words uh, from the beginning of this book. Here's how he starts it. What if you were told of a hidden virtue that in essence is the key to all of life. It unlocks the purpose of your existence and attracts the presence, protection, and providence of your creator. It is the root of all noble character, the foundation of all happiness, and provides needed adjustments to all inharmonious circumstances you may face. Firmly embracing this virtue could lengthen your life procure good health, ensure success and safety, eliminate lack, and guarantee a noble legacy. Sound too good to be true? Yeah, it kind of does sound too good to be true. But what we're going to see is throughout the scripture, we are called and commanded to fear the Lord. And then we're given these promises to those who fear God the Lord. Now, um, in a moment, I, I'm going to show you a video, not quite yet, but here in just a few moments. And John Bevere tells a story of a moment in his life where God put a big, bold exclamation point on this fear of the Lord, and it, it, it impacted him in a way that he will never, ever forget. And I want you to hear it from his own words. But before we do that, I, I want to talk about some things that we see in our passage here. So in, in verse 4, we see this, this thing happening in the life of David where it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he rescued me from all my fears. Now, the backstory of this psalm is that David is fleeing from Saul. He's, he goes to the, this land of Gath. There's a king there that uh, learns that David is in his land. And when David knows that the king knows that he's there, David starts to get afraid. He's very afraid of what this king might do to him. So here's what David decides to do. Now, the Bible is so interesting. David decides to act insane. 
that's the big plan. I, I don't know if it was like a split second decision of like, what do I do? Uh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to pretend like I'm crazy. And he literally starts drooling and he starts scratching on the gates of the city and mumbling things. And the king sees this crazy behavior and he's like, don't we have enough crazy people around here already? Like, get this guy out of here. And so David escapes from this king, from his fear of this king, and he writes a song about it. And he doesn't include in here about the part where I acted crazy. Now, I hope in heaven we get to see a playback of like this moment, because I think it's going to be hilarious. But David says that he delivered me from all my fears. This morning, I want to talk about moving from fear to fear. Moving from fears to fear. If you've ever battled fear before, I want you to know you're not alone and you're not the first. Obviously, people have been battling this from the very, very beginning. Um, in 1989, there was a group from Carlsbad, California, a motocross team, and they came up with a slogan, a brand for their motocross team. And do we have anybody who was alive during the 90s? We have some 90s people in the house. A few 90s people, yeah. So uh, go, go ahead and go to that next slide. Does anybody remember this? No fear, man. Come on, no fear. We had stickers. Jason said he had the sticker on his 1980 what? 1985 K5 Jimmy. He had a 1985 K5 Jimmy, which was a sweet truck, okay, in that time period, right? And he had a no fear sticker on the back of it. We all had t-shirts. I mean, this was everywhere. No fear. Um, in 2023, uh, just this year, they released a study uh, by KFF.org, and here's what they found is that 50% of adults 18 to 24, so if you're a younger person between the age of 18 and 24, one out of every two of you have experienced symptoms of anxiety, which is fear, and depression which is a, a sense of sadness or hopelessness. And many times it's tied to fear. In fact, anxiety and depression seem to travel together, both of these. And it's this epidemic of fear, which means our 1989 t-shirts have failed us miserably. <laughs> Amen. The bumper sticker didn't work. We all battle fear. In fact, I would say we're battling fear maybe more than ever before. Obviously, the pandemic did not do us any favors when it comes to dealing with fears. And David, he knows, he's been there. He has literally feared for his life. And in verse 9, he says this, you who are his holy ones. If, if you're a believer in God, a believer in Christ, you who are his holy ones, fear the Lord. How happy. I'm sorry. Fear the Lord for those who fear him lack, get this, nothing. 
They lack nothing. Verse 11, he says, come, children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, that's an important passage for us because if you're someone who's like, I don't know what you're talking about, fear of the Lord, sounds kind of crazy, kind of weird, like I thought God was taking away our fears, right? Here's what he's saying is that we can grow, we can be taught the fear of the Lord. We're commanded to fear the Lord, and we're told that we can grow into the fear of the Lord. And what's so interesting about David is that David is afraid, and then God delivers him from his fears, and his response is to fear the Lord. He moves from fears to fear. And here's my question. Could it be that the antidote to the fears that you and I face is the fear of the Lord? It's the fear of the Lord. So when we talk about the fear of the Lord, what in the world does that mean? What, what, you know, what does this mean? And, and at first glance, it can be kind of confusing, but when you look into the original Hebrew and Greek words that are translated as fear, here's what we learn about the word fear, is it has the sense of awe, what we talked about, terror, whoa, reverence, amazement, respect honor, to stand in awe of. And here's the thing, is that we can hear the fear of the Lord, and we think it's about being scared of God, right? To, to be scared of him. And what's interesting in the passage is that um, David, who has been very, very afraid, and now fears the Lord, he starts saying things like, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in me. So we see that David is not scared of God. In fact, David is drawn to God. So it's not being scared. In fact, the person who is scared of God has something to hide. But the person who fears the Lord has nothing to hide. And in Psalm 34, those who fear the Lord, they, they proclaim his greatness. They exalt his name. They, they look to him. They cry out to him. They delight in him. They seek him. In fact, that word seek, just, just I thought this was interesting. It, it literally has this idea of too frequent. Like, do you have places that you frequent? And it's this sense of like you're seeking God, you're frequently seeking after him, you're desiring him. And this is the picture of the fear of the Lord. It's this thing that draws us into God himself. And here's the, the big idea this morning. The fear of the Lord is the natural and appropriate response to seeing God as he truly is. It, it's... It, it's what happens to us naturally and appropriately when we begin to see God as he really is. And I just want you to consider with me three attributes of God. This is not an exhaustive list. I just picked three that might help us to consider the fear of the Lord. The first is the magnitude of his power. The magnitude of his power. Now, um, I'm afraid of heights. Do we have anybody here who's afraid of heights? Like you take me on top of a big building and I'm like, right? I'm just, I'm, I'm grabbing onto things. I don't, I don't want to go near the edge. I don't really want to look over. I have a fear of my glasses falling off when I look over this. I know this is the dumbest thing in the world, but it's like, if I look down right now, my glasses don't fall off. But when I like look over the edge of a building, I'm like, I'm going to lose my glasses. I, I just, it's an irrational fear. Okay. It makes no sense. 
But mine is so bad that when I go to a large downtown area, like even downtown Houston, and I walk next to these massive buildings, I'll be honest, it freaks me out. Like I'm made to live in the country in like a, a one-story house, okay? Like that's, that's how God designed me. There's something about the magnitude of them. It's like you just, you feel like it's going to fall on me, right? But when we think about God, the magnitude of his power, like if we like had the heavens open and we saw him as he truly is, like the power, the magnitude of his power, we would just melt into the floor. He's so powerful. We see it in, cre- in creation. The psalm before this in Psalm 33, it says, the heavens were made by the word of the Lord and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the sea into a heap and he puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. It's like if you've ever been to someplace like the Grand Canyon and you've just looked at the, the vastness of creation and you stand there and it's breathtaking. You're just, you're like, I'm so small. I have to consider just the magnitude of creation and God created this and everything else in the cosmos. It's the magnitude of his power. There's a story of Jesus' life, and, and he's on the boat with the disciples, and they're rowing, and this massive storm comes, and you know Jesus is asleep. He's just having a great like nap in the, in, the, in the bottom of the boat. And the disciples are freaking out because they think this is it. This is the one that takes us out, right? This is it. And they finally wake up. Jesus is like, don't you care that we're about to die? And Jesus wakes up. And he just calms the storm. And what's so interesting is it says they were terrified. Like when they saw the magnitude of the power of Jesus, it's like their fear of a natural disaster became the fear of the one who has command over natural disasters. They saw the magnitude of his power. The second one, it's the extent of his authority. Jesus, we know from scripture, is the great judge. It says the father has entrusted all judgment to him. And uh, by the way, the fear of the Lord is the future. Okay? When artificial intelligence is like a crusty old relic of the past, the fear of the Lord is going to be relevant for us. Jesus, the great judge, in Matthew 10 He says, don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The extent of his authority that each of us will stand before him who has that level of authority And he says, look, look, when someone threatens your life, don't be afraid of that. Because there's someone greater than the one who would ever threaten your life. There's another story from the life of Jesus in Mark chapter 5. 
and Jesus goes to the region of the, of the Gerasenes, and he steps out of the boat, and this crazy man meets him. This guy who uh, was living among the tombs. He was cutting himself with stones. He was crying out day and night. The people had tried to restrain him, but he was breaking through the chains. And the scripture tells us that he was demon-possessed. In fact, Jesus commands those, the, the unclean spirit to leave, and he cries out and begs, you know, please don't, don't torment us. And, you know, he says, what's your name, my legion, because there's many of us. And they beg, they beg Jesus not to be uh, thrown out of the region. And so he says, you know, you know, yes, you can go to the pigs, and the pigs go down the cliff, and you know the story, right? And what's so interesting is the townspeople. Now, if I were those people, and there's a man living among the tombs, cutting himself that no one can restrain with chains, like, there's a part of me that's a little bit terrified of that. Amen. Like, that would freak me out. Like, honey, lock the door tonight. Like, there's, he's howling again, right? But what's so crazy about the story is that after this happens, when Jesus sends those things out of that man, it says that the townspeople were terrified of Jesus and they begged him to leave. Meaning, they had a fear of a man who was demonized. But when they saw the one who had power and authority over demons, it terrified them. And they went from fears to fear. They saw the extent of his authority. The last one, and this one's beautiful, it's the greatness of his love. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt. We see this with breathtaking clarity at the cross of Calvary. Jesus is betrayed. He's falsely accused. He's stripped. He's beaten so badly that he's disfigured. Like people don't even recognize his face. He's mocked with a crown of thorns. He's marched with a cross on his shoulders. He's pierced with nails. He's hoisted into the air. He's sneered at by people who are walking by saying, you know, if you're God's son, let him save you now. Let him save you from this. The whole sky goes dark and Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me? The earth shakes, he releases his spirit, and he dies. And there's a centurion standing next to this whole scene, and he sees the whole thing happen. And here's what he says, surely this was the son of God. Meaning that Jesus, even the way that he died, was so, it was obvious to this man that this was the son of God. He saw something in him that was Terrifying. In fact, it says they were terrified. And he cried out, surely this was the son of God. John 3 tells us this, that God in his great love for you and for me, he laid down his son for us so that we could sing songs like, oh, praise the one who paid my day to raise this life up from the dead. It's the greatness 
of his love. And I think if we could just have the heavens pull back, we could see the magnitude of the love of God. It would just level us. We would be standing in awe, reverence of his love. The fear of the Lord is the natural and appropriate response of seeing God as he truly is. The magnitude of his power, the extent of his authority, and the greatness of his love. And now I want to show you this clip. This is John Bevere sharing about a moment in his life when the Lord put a big, bold exclamation point on the power and necessity of the fear of the Lord. And I think it speaks to why this is so important for us. And so, guys, if you want to go ahead and roll that for us now. Let me tell you, when I first learned this back in 1997, it was January of 97, I was asked to the nation of Brazil to speak at a national conference. I was so, so excited because it was my first trip to Brazil. I remember flying down there. It was in the capital city. It was a national conference. People were coming from all over. And I landed Friday morning, prayed all afternoon. And that night they drove me to the arena. I remember before we even got to the packed out parking lot, there were cars parked on the street for blocks away. I remember pulling into that reserved spot. When you get out, you could hear the worship and the crowd from the outside of the building because in the arenas down there, they have about a six foot gap between the ceiling and the upper wall to create air ventilation. And I could hear the worship that was going on in the inside. I was so excited. Now, back in those days, let me tell you something. They did something I'm so glad they stopped doing. They sat us ministers on the, on the platform, okay? So they, 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 they ushered me in and put me right on the platform. That's just so weird when you're worshiping God in front of everybody, right? I'm like, let me sit in the front row. But anyway, so, so um, I, I remember, you know, I'm, I'm on the platform. I'm excited. First time in Brazil. The, the place is, the arena is jam-packed. And the presence of God is nowhere. Now I'm talking about the manifest presence of God. Not his omnipresence. And I remember closing, I, I, I'm in shock. I mean, you would think just the energy in the room, Right? with that many people. And I, I closed my eyes, I said, God, where's your presence? And I remember when I opened my eyes, it was like I started seeing people. And I saw people during the worship standing there like this, looking around with their arms crossed. Others had their hands in their pocket looking down. There were people talking to one another. Some people were walking down the stairs of the arena and going out to the concession stands, getting something to drink, coming back. I'm like, this will stop. So I go through the whole worship. And then one of the leaders of this massive church network down there comes up and begins reading from the scripture. And now because there's no music, you can hear the little mutter, mutter of people whispering to each other, talking to each other. And I'm like, what is going on? And now I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting quite upset. And I hear the Holy Spirit say, address this. <laughs> So they introduced me, and I remember walking up and putting my right elbow on the podium. My, my translator's right next to me, because I'm sitting there going, how do I get these people attention? And I remember just going up and standing there and staring at him, and not saying a word. Now, when you're the Friday night speaker of the National Conference in Brazil, and you've been introduced, and you're standing there staring at the people, that will get their attention. So after about 50 seconds, the whole place goes quiet, and every eye is on me. 
And when I knew every eye was on me, these are the first words I ever spoke in the nation of Brazil. I did not say, hi, it's nice to be here. Here's my family. Let me show you a picture. I didn't do any of that. I said, this is the first words that came out of my mouth. I have two questions. Question one, you're talking to somebody sitting across the table and the whole time you're talking to them, they got their hands in their pocket looking around. They got their arms crossed looking down or they're whispering to somebody beside them. Would you continue to talk to them? I, they said nothing, so I, I answered it. I said, no, because I'm a little angry right now. What if every time you go to your neighbor's house, this is question number two, and you knock on the door, and when they open the door, they go, oh, it's you again. And they turn around and walk into the house. I said, will you continue to go? No. I said, I have been in this auditorium, this arena, for over an hour and a half, and there's not an ounce of the presence of God in this place. Why? Because God will never come into a place where he's not held with the utmost respect. I said, if the president of your nation would have walked on this platform tonight, you would have given him 10 times the respect you gave the Holy Spirit. I said, if Pele, your greatest soccer player in the history of Brazil, would have walked on this platform tonight, you would have been on the edge of your seats anticipating every word. I said, you've given no respect to the Spirit of God. And for the next 75 minutes, I preached them on the fear of the Lord. After 75 minutes, I said, all right, you're in here. You say you're born again. This is a believer's conference. So, you know, they all said that we're Christians. I said, you say you're born again, but you lack the fear of God and you're willing to repent. Stand up. Three-fourths of the arena stands up. Soon as they stand up, the presence of God fills the arena. And, and, and people start crying. And I'm like, God, we didn't even pray. And I remember later him showing me that the father ran to the prodigal son before the prodigal son said any prayer of repentance. And so the presence of God fills the place. It's just wonderful. People weeping. And, and I'm finally like, finally. Right? And it's so wonderful. And it lasts three minutes and it lives. And the Holy Spirit said, lead him in a prayer of repentance. So I led him in a prayer of repentance. After the prayer of repentance, another wave comes of his presence. And it's even stronger. And now it's just beautiful. It's just so amazing. I hear sobbing all over the arena. Last three or four minutes, it lifts. Lord said, son, I'm coming one more time. Now, there's no way I can ever do this justice, but I want you to imagine standing in a forest and about a 25 mile an hour wind starts blowing through that forest. That kind of a violent whistling wind came blowing into that arena. When it did, the people started screaming. Now, can you imagine thousands of Latinos screaming how loud that is? Yet the wind was louder. And I remember I am standing there right beside this pulpit. And I am petrified in a good way. I mean, there are, look, I know it sounds weird, but there are like goosebumps on top of my goosebumps. There was such an authority that came into that arena. It was like daddy didn't come in. The king came in. And I remember I am standing there and all that's coming out of my mouth is, oh my God, oh my God. And I remember the thought goes through my mind. John Bevere, you say one wrong word, you make one wrong move, you're dead. <laughs> now, would that have happened? I don't know. It did with a couple in the New Testament when they brought an offering and they were more concerned about people perceiving that they were giving uh, 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 sacrificially and they fell over dead. 
in that kind of an atmosphere because Peter walks out of that atmosphere and walks down the streets of Jerusalem and everybody sick gets up. That's like Pastor Steve walking through one of the hospitals here and emptying the hospital. That kind of authority was in that room. He's not only dead, he's called the consuming fire. He's not only dead, he's called the king. And he came in and I'm standing there and I'd never encountered anything like this in my life. And I'm sitting there going, oh my God, oh my God. And, and the, this wind blows for 90 seconds. It gradually subsides, it leads in its wake. People collapse over the seats in front of them, people weeping. And I'm standing there, I'm like, God, what do I do? What do I do? And the Lord's like, I'm through with you. <laughs> so I looked at the leader, I said, it's all yours. <laughs> so they, they whisked me out to the car and they put me in the car and then they put the national solo singer that night. There was a soloist, she's a female, very, very well known in Brazil. And her husband, and she gets in the car, she goes, did you hear the wind, did you hear the wind? And I said, maybe it was a jet aircraft that flew over the building, right? Oh my gosh, and she got mad at me. What are you talking about? I saw fire all around the building. And I, and I was like, oh yeah, yeah, these Brazilians are passionate. So her husband quiets her down because he's a little calmer man. He goes, sir, that, that wasn't an airplane. I said, how do you know? He said, because there were security men and policemen all around the outside. They're union men. They're not, most of them aren't even saved. They were around the outside of the building. When the wind started blowing, they came running in and said to our leaders, what in the world's going on? He said, secondly, I, I was at the main soundboard because I'm making sure my wife's volumes are right for her singing. He said, the decimal meters were at zero the whole time the wind blew. He said, John, not one ounce of that sound came through our sound system. I said, my God, take me to my hotel room. I remember just sitting on my balcony till 1.30 in the morning worshiping powerful story of the fear of the Lord. And I just want to close with this. Um, we need to see him as he really is. He's the one who inspires awe. And today, if you need to repent of not treating him like he is who he really is, I want to invite you to stand with me right now. Maybe you've just felt like you've been lacking holy fear in your life. Maybe you're just like, I, I want more. I want more of the fear of the Lord in my life. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.